Welcome to Intersections, the RIT podcast. Are electronic cigarettes really a healthier alternative to tobacco products? Risa Robinson, head of RIT's Department of Mechanical Engineering, talks with Edward Hensel, Associate Dean, about their unique research methods into how these devices are used and how they affect users' health. So we're capturing the puffing behavior of a user every time they take a puff. So we have a monitoring device that attaches to their product, whether it be their electronic cigarette, their jewel, their vape pen, their cigarette. It attaches to their product, and it measures every puff that they take. It measures the time that they, t- that they take the puff. It measures the flow rate. It measures the duration. measures the time in between puffs. And all of those types of behaviors are important in assessing um, the total amount of exposure they're getting and also the, the time frequency at which they're getting the exposure. Are they vaping all day long or are they vaping once an hour for a discrete amount of time? All of these parameters go into how addicted a user is um, and how much exposure they get. So by measuring their behavior with our monitor, we're able to assess the risk of, of one product relative to another. In the laboratory environment, we can capture the emissions, but we can't capture the behavior. So I, I recall, Risa, when I first started working in the lab, one of the first things that I asked you was what some of the specific shortcomings were you saw with monitors that were available in the, in the marketplace, and what were the needs that drove the development of the RIT personal use monitor? Mm-hmm. One is that the monitoring devices that were available commercially were only able to capture the puffing patterns, but they weren't able to capture the inhalation patterns, and we needed to really capture both of those to enable to enable us to get an estimate of exposure. Also at that time, the electronic cigarettes were starting to come on the market, and those monitoring devices weren't able to capture any puffing topography from the electronic cigarettes. It seems like you're focusing a lot of the discussion to now, now on kind of the inhalation topography, and that's kind of some of our future directions, whereas mm-hmm. up until now, a lot of the work that we've done has been on the puffing topography. Mm-hmm. What's the difference between those? So the puffing topography is the behavior of the smoke as it's coming out of the cigarette or out of the e-cig, and the inhalation topography is how the person uh, takes that smoke or that vapor into the respiratory tract. If you want to test two products side by side on a bench, they may look exactly the same in the laboratory if you puff those two products the same. But if you take those products and you into the natural environment and person were to use those products, they may use them completely differently. So they may puff them differently, they may inhale them differently, and it's that puffing behavior and that inhalation behavior that is what's going to affect the exposure to the harmful constituents. So some of the early preliminary data that we found were that users of low nicotine e-liquids have a different behavior than users of high nicotine e-liquids. So users of low nicotine e-liquids compensate their behavior in order to get the amount of nicotine in their blood that they need in order to maintain their addiction. And that's something that you can't find in the laboratory environment. You can't measure that by machine puffing. You have to send our monitors out in the environment with the users in order to see that difference. I I think that distinction between machine puffing and natural environment puffing behavior is something that's come up time and time again in the lab. When I look back at the original machine puffing standards for cigarettes, 
which were pretty much based on a half sine wave, a very well-behaved, characterized puff. And then I looked at the raw data we were actually getting from field studies with human participants actually smoking cigarettes. Those puffs that we saw in the real environment looked nothing like the machine puffing standards. And then we see regularly that e-cig puffing behavior looks quite a bit different than cigarette puffing behavior. So I think that all ties back in with what you were describing. And e-cig behavior from one person to another is very different. And e-cig behavior from one product, from one electronic cigarette, is different than another electronic cigarette. We see different behavior for those who use the Juul compared to those who use a vape pen, compared to those who use box mods, for example. Why do you think that is? Well, it's the difference in the design of the devices. Some devices are actually designed for a particular type of inhalation pattern. They call these there's different inhalation patterns direct to lung and mouth to lung. The mouth to lung inhalation pattern is a typical of a of a cigarette type of behavior where you bring the puff into the mouth and then you inhale it into the lung. Um, some of these electronic cigarettes are being designed to take directly to the lung without a stopover in the mouth. And that's a very different exposure pattern because if you're taking something into the mouth, you're limited to a um, fixed volume, a small volume. And then when you inhale it into the lung, you are diluting that. So you're not getting as much of exposure. Whereas if you're taking it directly into the lung, you're getting a large cloud and all of that is going directly into the lung without any mixture of clean air. And so you're getting a very heavy exposure. I think the, the thing that's substantially different about e-cigs is because they're an electromechanical product, there are tons of design parameters that engineers can change to really design how these chemicals get delivered to the human. Whereas in a combustible cigarette, ultimately they're burning tobacco. Right. Right. Now it, they have all these different things they can dial in on. Right. So you bring up the cigarette. In, in the case of the cigarette, they designed something in called elasticity. So they actually designed the different ways that they pack the tobacco and the different makeup of the tobacco so that, they, so that it may behave a certain way in the lab under a certain puffing condition. But when you take it out and the person actually uses it, it behaves a completely different way. And they had vent, vent holes in the cigarettes, which the vent holes aren't covered up in the lab. So you get one type of exposure. And then when the user goes in and smokes, they're covering up the vent holes, so they're getting a nice heavy dose of the smoke. In electronic cigarettes, like you said, there's hundreds of different things that the user can can change on their own. They can change the power, they can actually change the airflow, they can change the nicotine concentration, and so you have to test these products under daily, natural daily activities in order to really figure out whether they're lower risk Kind of reminds me of the Volkswagen emissions testing scandal where they they programmed the automobile to behave differently when it sensed that it was connected to an emissions testing machine. And so we're actually trying to measure products in the natural environment, not in a contrived laboratory setting. Because we send these monitors home with people for a week or more, we may be capturing thousands of puffs, whereas a lot of other laboratories will bring a study participant into the lab for 30 minutes and capture a dozen or a couple of dozen puffs. So we've had to automate all of the data processing and interpretation of thousands of puffs over dozens of users, and that's forced us to develop very robust algorithms for the signal processing and the data interpretation. And as a result, I think we've removed a lot of heuristics or the, the judgment call that other researchers may have to make in manually processing data. And I, I think one of the unique skill sets that we bring to the table is the monitoring capability. As all of these new products come into the marketplace, 
we can respond quickly and measure all these different products and the traditional monitors can't keep up. That's our challenge and our opportunity. There's a new product coming out every three months and we're trying to develop new monitors to keep up with those product innovations. And because, because we have a very unique lab here, we have a multidisciplinary lab and we have what an industrial designer, we have a computer engineer, um, mechanical engineer, analytical chemist, psychologist, industrial we engineer. We pretty much have one of every discipline, which is what's needed to be very responsive to these electronic cigarettes as they come out on the market. We design a new uh, monitoring device, and then we can very rapidly test that in the field and um, inform regulatory policy in a timely manner. I don't think it's well accepted yet that switching folks from smoking to electronic cigarettes is a positive health benefit because we don't know once they switch over to electronic cigarettes, will their nicotine addiction get worse or will they actually take in more nicotine than they did with a cigarette because they can vape all day long? Um, so we really don't know whether there's a positive health benefit. It's really the crux of our work is trying to decide the relative risk between different electronic cigarette products and the relative risk between smoking and electronic cigarettes. And at a population level, it, it does electronic cigarettes actually have a positive health impact because if you put electronic cigarettes on the market and it does show that it, people who switch from smoking to electronic cigarettes, that's a positive health impact. But if they're on the market, it's easy for young folks to become addicted then at a population level, it may be a negative health benefit. So how many are going to switch from cig smoking to electronic cigarettes compared to how many new addicted nicotine users are we going to get? And all of these, in my mind, are unanswered questions. Yeah, I, I think one of the challenges of this research is that there are, this is a a large market, both in the U.S. and around the world. There are billions and billions of dollars at stake every year, and there are hundreds of millions of dollars that are spent on company research to develop new products every year. And so we're trying to stay ahead of that new product introduction curve uh, with a tiny fraction of the expense budget. I mean, if we look at the entire uh, NIH budget for tobacco research, it pales in comparison to the internal research and development budgets of the companies that are making these products. I mean, I think it, the, the, the problem itself is, it, is at the intersection of behavior and psychology and engineering. And so as we started looking into the problem and trying to solve the problem, then we realized, okay, now we need, we need a behaviorist. Um, we, we need to, to respond to these different e-cig products. So we need someone, an industrial designer, in order to help us design the casing. And um, now we have a now we have the jewel come out and that's much smaller so now we need to reduce the size now we need a computer engineer in order to develop the new core boards that are a smaller size so I think over time it has evolved but it's it, it is a multidisciplinary problem by nature so one of our key I think strategies has been to identify faculty and students who are interested and eager and passionate about working on a, on a particular topic, and then how do we leverage that passion in a way that contributes to the overall goals. So we may not know exactly uh, how we're going to use a new skill set when it joins the team, but it, it's a high-quality individual with a lot of passion to do something eager, and, and that opens up new opportunities that we maybe hadn't even thought of before. Thanks for listening to Intersections, the RIT podcast, a production of RIT Marketing and Communications. To learn more about our university, go to www.rit.edu. And to hear more podcasts, 
Find us on iTunes or visit us at www.soundcloud.com slash RITtigers or at www.rit.edu slash news slash podcasts.